Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to The Sound Barrier, Northeast State's official podcast, where we'll be breaking the barrier by getting to know some of our faculty, staff, students, and alumni. And today, we've got a very special guest, Mr. John Mean, who is an assistant professor of computer and information sciences. And we're grateful to have him here. He's a man of many interests, as well as many talents, and you'll get to learn all about that today. This is your host, Matthew Poole. I'm also joined by co-host Tom, as well as Mackenzie. So uh, grateful that you all are listening in with us. And uh, I tell you what, Mr. McMean here, he has a story to him, and he is a man of many interests. So you're going to get to learn all about him today, and it's going to be a treat. So John, uh, if you don't care, just can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and ultimately what led you to coming to Northeast State in the first place? Yeah, I can try to sum it up pretty quickly. So I grew up in Elizabeth in Carter County, and, um, and of course, when looking at schools, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do as far as you know going to college, and uh, ended up at ETSU and, and absolutely loved it. So you know, kind of flash forward uh, through uh, going to school and leaving school for a while and pursuing music and then coming back to school and going to grad school. At some point, I accidentally got thrown into a teaching a computer science class at ETSU, and I, I really enjoyed it. And so even after I left teaching there and was working in industry, I, I really missed my side gig. And so uh, Dave Blair, uh, professor here, I, uh, he was one of my professors at ETSU years ago, and we met up at an event I do called Career Quest. And... He was like, you know, there's some faculty position coming open soon. You should should look at applying. So, and I got to come back to what I really like to do, teaching and sharing sharing uh, some knowledge and things on on things I'm okay at. I, you, you said I'm a man of many interests. That makes you a, a, a jack of all trades, master of none, right? <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think you're a master of plenty. I've sat through a number of your lectures before, so I, to me, at least, that you seem like a master of uh, well, a lot of different areas of focus. Just so. at least just a master of computer science. That's what I got at at, at, at ETSU, and so I, I can at least say one, uh, but uh, definitively. But then, yeah, I, I I like to do a lot of things, and so. That's cool. Yeah. And you're getting your PhD right now, right? I'm, I'm kind of considering okay. it. I'm just kind of shopping around okay. and seeing. Uh, I've got some research stuff coming up that I could either kind of publish or I could sit on and take to a school and maybe have some, some other brilliant minds uh, look over it. Uh, right now, I've got the, the brilliant minds of... Uh, some of the folks out at Steel Creek Park in Bristol looking over me and keep making sure I stay within the bounds of what I'm actually researching. But uh, yeah, so PhD might be on the plate. We've, we've got to see. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. So um, ultimately, though, I'm curious, what got you interested in computer science? Computer science. Well, so it actually, actually a, another accident. <laughs> So uh, I loved computers when I was a kid, and I spent a lot of time uh, making websites, kind of playing around, getting comfortable with with uh, working on a computer. And uh, you know, even even when I was a kid or really young, I remember playing math games and things like that at, at school. And so I always liked working with computers and playing around and. By the time I graduated high school, I looked at 2D and 3D graphics and was kind of interested in doing animation and things like that. So 
when I looked at the catalog that was available at ETSU for 2001, which was the year before I graduated, a lot of, there were a lot of courses in the computer science program on animation, different things. And so that's what I was like, oh, I need to be a computer science major. So I started in 2002, went for orientation, and it turns out that they built a digital media program, which is, you know, you're probably familiar with their program. Uh, I, I can tell you exactly when they started, because that's when I signed up for computer science, mistakenly. So I got into an advising session, and you know, advisors would never do this. They would never be like, stay, stay, please stay. Of course. Of course. But he did talk me into staying, and uh, was a, a man named Bob, Bob Reiser, and I got to thank him a couple years later for letting me, for talking me into sticking around, because what was cool about going into computer science versus going into the animation field and things like that is I learned to build the software that animators use. So I can create any tool that I want, whether it be an animation tool or a, or a tool to study frog sounds or, or whatever. So software kind of gave me, software engineering gave me the uh, expressiveness that I was kind of looking for with with relating ideas and, and, and having fun with, with computers. So uh, it's, it's a little bit more, you know, not only am I consuming it, but I'm also yeah. producing it, so. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember whenever I would sit on, on your lectures, we'd go to different high schools and uh, you'd present about a computer science program. You always said this one thing that stuck out to me. And Uh-oh. it's whenever either <laughs> Dr. Donna Farrell, shout out, uh, would walk by the office and she, she may ask, what are you doing in there? It looks like you're playing video games. And you would just say, it's just research. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, because I think it's so neat that you did this, but you integrated uh, artificial intelligence with uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. So uh, when, when, I, when I first landed here, uh, Dave Blair uh, kind of coached me and said, listen, AI is coming and it's coming fast. And we have to be prepared to teach it at the at the two-year level. So try to figure out how to teach an applied AI course. How do we take the tools and use them? And you know, a lot of computer science programs might focus on, well, let's let's break them apart and study how they work and build new ones. And and so instead of consuming it, using it, applying it to, to things that, that are of interest. And that's usually how we start. We teach you how to use the thing, and then we teach you how the thing works. And you, you kind of dive in deeper and deeper as you go. And so at the two-year level, it's, 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 it's a topic now that uh, we can totally teach it at, at pretty much any level. I, I, I fully believe we can teach it at, at a high school level, uh, can at least consuming it and putting sets of tools together. So, But the, the way that I first introduced myself was, well, I need something fun to apply this to. And... I was also looking for something that might, if I got it to work, catch my students' interest. And so I start looking at packages that already existed. And uh, so OpenAI, we've, we've heard a lot about yep. ChatGPT. They developed the framework for the code uh, that, I, that I put together. So they wow. developed this tool called um, Gym Retro and the Gym, uh, GYM. So training... Uh, AI, they, they created a trainer that's a, a platform that basically allows researchers to all work in the same sets of tools because a lot of the research that was going on and being published was essentially ad, ad hoc. Everybody was doing it their own way. And so when you're comparing results, they, they, the data wasn't coming in in comparable fashion. So the, the OpenAI was like, maybe if we just kind of put together a tool that everybody can use that that helps 
build AI, then people start using it. And now when they compare their studies, the, the, the data is kind of um, put together in a better way. So I, I grabbed some of their code and uh, there was actually a YouTuber that I learned all this from. So, you know, I tell my students all the time, they're like, what can we, they ask, can you just learn this online? Why, why do I have to sit through you yelling about it? I'm like, well, I'm an expert and I can make sure that what you're consuming on YouTube's correct. Exactly. That's you're what the, I get paid to do evaluator. to vet it. Exactly. You can learn anything you want to outside of the classroom, but to actually receive a grade for it to get the degree, That's you have right. to come through me. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So the, um, anyway, the, uh, the YouTuber kind of uh, did a great job of summarizing and putting together, and then uh, he even admitted in in the video, he's like, "I'm not much of a computer scientist, uh, so don't you know, don't hold me accountable for some bad code." And I got in there and immediately was like, "Oh, I can make this better." And so I started hacking at it, and before I knew it, I I had kind of redeveloped his 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 code, and it, it's really only it's amazing. I, I did this in maybe less than 200 lines of code. And, and, you know, and so that's something that would be unthinkable years and years ago. And if you think about it now, my AI platform for my frogs, I've, I've actually abstracted that down to, to four commands that I can call from the command line and have my entire training pipeline set up. So that's all programmers really do is take really complex things and give them names that are simpler to use and then ask that thing to do it. And so AI has been abstracted to the highest level. I just think for us. <laughs> Truly. I mean, it's, it's definitely a tool that I can see us uh, continuing to integrate into our world. I just, I can't help but think in the back of my head, like, what is this eventually going to evolve into? Like, yeah. How, how much is this going to be integrated to our life? I mean, is it just going to completely consume all that we do or... You know, are we going to use it kind of like a calculator in a way for a math class for, you know, uh, is long form writing a thing of the past? Do we just need to be really good short form writers and then it spits out this information for us? I don't really know what that looks like. And I don't know if anybody really does. Yeah, I, we're, it's the Wild West right now. It's it's kind of like the Internet appearing. What's this going to do for our learning yeah. now that anybody can look anything up at any time? Are people actually going to remember things? I, you know, and, and I have some arguments for and against. I think the internet can, can, you know, really enhance our learning. I, I owe most of my, my knowledge to, to learning on the internet. And so to, to say that, well, I guess people were really scared when they first came out. Like people could cheat now. They can just look up answers. And so was well, looking up answers, not what we've always done. We're That's looking up answers to problems all the time. And so like any tool, I think it, it could be misused. And I'm probably more worried about really scary impacts of how it affects our um, political systems and things like that. And, and you know, the, 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 the in, impending robot apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, true that. I mean, I've watched Terminator way yeah. too many times. I think we all have. <laughs> yeah. My, I like wearing yeah. my Cyberdyne system shirt when I'm programming my AI stuff. It, it may be a little, my, my friends say it's, it's a little too on the nose when I, when I, <laughs> they catch me wearing it. But, uh, anyway. That's cool. Well, it, it, I'd kind of like to start talking a little bit more about, uh, how you have used more so artificial intelligence as a tool for your research. Yeah, of course. So, um, as far as how you've integrated computer science and biology, when did this really all start in your specific area? I'll let you kind of describe, but what got you interested in that particularly? Well, 
I tell you, when I it's I think we've talked about this before, Matt, because your your background's in psychology, and so the when I was when I was in high school, before I landed on computer science, animation, any of that, I was interested in psychology quite a bit, and so I looked at the catalog and saw that psychology students at ETSU not only had to take a biology one, two, but a three. That scared me. I was like, ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I can't say that I just immediately loved psycho or biology uh, from the get-go. And but um, I tell you, the the real inspiration is my my one of my best friends, Jeremy Stout, the Nature Center manager at Steel Creek Park, and he just has such a passion for biology, and he shares it so well that he just gets me excited about it. And we were talking a few minutes before the, the, our talk here about um, the, uh, um, getting excited about things and, and how it can take you in different directions and uh, just being in love with science. And so this is a man that's just in love with science and, and he, he inspired me. And really, Jeremy's probably the reason I went to grad school too. I'm just wow. like, this guy's so bright and he, he knows so much now. He's teaching and, you know, I've, grew up with him like I met him when I was 16 years old and so uh, he's really just kind of inspired me to, to, to do more and and us working together uh, I, I, I joke all the time I was like well this data is kind of implying this but I don't know you're the biologist what's what's it really telling you and so that's as a data scientist and computer scientist you're you're looking towards the people that you're developing software for or towards to, to understand how their processes and systems work and as a computer scientist, a lot of times we're taught to be generalists, to be able to take sweeping ideas and, and put them in and uh, automate them and things like that. So uh, you, as a computer scientist, you almost have to latch on to something else you're interested in to become an expert at, to apply your skill sets to. And, you know, some, some people specialize in building houses and some people specialize in building you know, industrial complexes. So everybody's, you know, got their, their thing they want to do. And, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say Jeremy there. And that's specifically the project that, that I'm going to talk a little bit about today uh, came from uh, Jeremy. And I'll share the story real quick. But Jeremy, you met Jeremy, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah I have. Did we, you have him as an I didn't have him as an instructor whenever I was a student here. I did a little bit of volunteer work for a group that, or a club that I was in at Northeast, and we planted some trees. That's right. At Steel Creek Park. Okay, so, that's right. I, yeah. I remember you had said you met Jeremy. But. Yeah, super nice guy. Oh my goodness. And you're right, his his energy and his passion for what he does is so infectious, it like gets you motivated. Right. And fired up. Exactly. I'm like, I'm like yes, let's go plant some exactly. trees. <laughs> have, have you all met, met Jeremy? Have not, no. So he, he is an adjunct here at, at Northeast State. I, I mean, and and he, he teaches biology. And so I, I, I've always wanted to take one of his classes. I probably should. But just being his friend is kind of like taking a class in biology. You're going you're gonna to learn something when, with Jeremy. So. <laughs> He he called me up one day, and it's it's pretty rare that you can actually get me at my desk here. I probably shouldn't say that, but uh, <laughs> so my phone rang, and it's Jeremy, and he goes, "Hey, did you get that email I just sent you?" And my my computer just dinged right then. I was like, "Well, I guess I did." He he goes, "Just hey, take a look at that that paper. Do you do you understand any of the math?" And so I I'm like on the spot. Okay, open up the paper and start scrolling through and. You know, he's asking me to synthesize and learn something in just a few minutes, like you know, on this phone call. So I start reading through, and 
putting it together and he's talking a little bit. I'm like, hold on, give me a second. I'm, I'm looking at this and yeah, I start to pick out some of the math. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, this is this, this, and this. Explain it to me. He's like, let me call you back. And he just hangs up on me. <laughs> okay. I told you he's eccentric, right? Yeah. And he just hangs up on me. I'm like, okay, fine. And um, he called me back just a few minutes later and he's like, hey, you want to work on a research project? And he was hanging up to ask um, one of his uh, colleagues out at, out at Steel Creek Park if it was okay for me to jump on the project because uh, Lance Jesse is a naturalist out there and he was um, he, heading up this project. And so he couldn't just ask if, if I wanted to be on it without Lance's permission. So they pulled me in to their project and we, we published a paper uh, in the spring of 2022, yeah. And um, so we, we published a paper together and that was, it was really exciting. I, I did all the math and, and I wrote four sentences for the paper that got cut by the, and it cut out by the editing process. Uh, when you do all the math, you put it in graphs and charts and that kind of said that. But anyway, I did have a hand and there's a few sentences in there. I think I had a hand in, but most of my, <laughs> most of my work comes in the form of pictures. And so, uh, and the, of course the math behind it, but, um, that was a really awesome experience. And then the, I talk about this when I when I go to uh, um, talk about my project is what got me what started this project is there were about three sentences of the paper I didn't like and not that they were poorly written or slander or something uh, they're just assumptions and so in science papers sometimes we have to just state any assumptions we make and whether they're good or bad and that's up to the kind of review process to be like well that's not a good assumption or maybe that's a good, okay one it's just setting your boundaries or limitations to to how you framed your thoughts and there were three sentences that i just these are assumptions that i, I don't want to live with and and i'm fine with putting them out there but now let's go zoom in on this and figure out if we were right or wrong by making that assumption so in the instant we didn't have a way to kind of measure these things but uh, so specifically, there's a couple frogs. Uh, there's one frog out there that hasn't been in Steel Creek Park. I, I guess I should mention that you know we're we're looking at frog, uh, frogs and toads. Uh, our our work, kind of separate from my project, is looking at amphibians as a whole in Southern Appalachians. And so I'm zoomed in on frogs and toads out at the park, and the. Um, uh, the the sentence was basically looking for this one toad, the the Fowler's toad. And it hasn't been observed in the park in over 50 years. And so to include it in our data set that exists in the park, what I asked Jeremy was, you know, park records and things that we observe in, in, in biology. If we go out and observe something in a natural setting, what's the half-life for that data? What, when do we say, yeah, it still exists here? And so one of the big problems that we, we see in those science fields is undersampling. We, we can't just be everywhere all at once. Or can we? So that was part of my study, was putting on you know, these passive audio recording devices out. And though I couldn't be everywhere in the park all at once, even collecting data from these things, uh, I could be in parts of the park that were, um, you know, undersampled. And at temporal time points in the park. So one of the things is for talk about frogs and toads, or they'll call at night. And that's some of these frogs are the size of like your your finger, you know, or your you know half your your forefinger, your pinky. They're just so tiny, so they're hard to see. The best way to find them or observe them is through their calls, and a lot of them call at night. And coincidentally, the parks closed at night, 
So that's why there's kind of an undersampling at night in Steel Creek Park and no systematic study kind of ever been done on frogs and toads in the park. So that was just my whole rationale for let's, let's just throw some recorders out there and see what we got. So these, they generate huge data sets. So I've got almost, uh, and, and I guess um, our sound engineer out there is probably thinking about uh, the you know audio data. He's thinking, oh, well, how do, is our hard drive hold big enough to hold this <laughs> conversation from this long-winded <laughs> guy? No, this is we're running out of room out there. Anyway, so that's the that's the thing is that audio data. If you want really good quality audio data, it's uncompressed. It's it's big. It takes up a lot of space. And so uh, I ate up about a terabyte. And if I had been super diligent with getting out there and getting all the data that I needed and we hadn't had some troubles with recorders and technical difficulties. I probably would have ended up with around two to two and a half terabytes just for the one summer from four recorders. Wow. wow. How many recorders did you have? I have yeah. access to four okay. that I'm using, and they will, uh, you know, I could t put them on a timer, essentially a schedule to come on and turn off when we had them on at night. I can be out there during the day occasionally, and other folks. Uh, sharing data through programs like iNaturalist. So there's data coming in from everywhere. Uh, but for my recorders, it was just kind of imperative that they be out there at night and, 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 and take all that in. So those huge data sets, when you listen, to, if, if, you know, I can't sit, that, uh, I can't remember what the, the hours total was on that. I could probably scribble some math down here and, and based off the, the size of the files. But it was somewhere around, uh, you know, a collective... Um, 1700 hours or something oh, like that from all the recorders or, or I was maybe even I mean even if it was 700 that's more hours than I have time to sit and listen to and so audio software there's there's a ton of audio software out there that does classification um will go through and let you tag stuff and, every, and automate these things but as a software engineer of course I wanted to solve the problem myself and build something very tailored to Steel Creek Park. Build my own AI model for just the species out there and collectively add to it. Because this is something unique that a city park might not have access or resources to. It's like This is a custom AI model trained for our park in helping identify the things that we know are here. And so uh, anyway, that's why I, I, I threw AI in on this and it was kind of also that, that, that spark from Dave. Find a way to to bring this back to the classroom and that's that's what I've done. So I've got a really nice applied project with some really good goals and a ton of data to chew through. And uh, so anyway, we found eight out of 10 so far of the toads, frogs and toads that we said were in the park. Okay. Uh, so there's two more that are kind of elusive and one more that's even more elusive that we actually stated we don't believe is in the park, but there are records so we we kind of looked at them and was like we're we're not sure. It's kind of a well, I, I can't say for sure, but the way it was described to me, it was kind of like a blurry photo. It might have been a Bigfoot type situation. So it couldn't be confirmed or denied. So this is a, this is a, some cryptozoology exactly. possibly going on. Exactly. Okay. But we're you know that's what I wanted to know. Okay. Well, if we can validate someone's photo, uh, blurry Bigfoot photo, and, and, and say that some of these frogs are out there, then I'd, I'd love to find a species that's never been documented. Is, was Fowler's toad, we can confirm, we cannot, it's one of the two that cannot be confirmed in there, Fowler's toad? It just hasn't been observed. Hasn't been observed. Yeah. In, okay. Since, I think, 71 or 72. 
in the park. So that's something great about Steel Creek Park is they've had uh, trained naturalists on staff for 50 years. And so that's why we have so much data about Steel Creek Park is it's we've got park records going back that far. And that was the corner kind of cornerstone of our study was having all that data and getting it out there uh, to the world to use. I'm so excited about this project because it actually just clicked. Like it just, I, my brain just made that connection. The Sonic the Hedgehog, it learned, I guess, how to defeat mm -hmm. the game. And then with this machine learning, it's learning the sounds and it can pinpoint the exact sounds. Like, so you heard that uh, this species was making its call at like 2 a.m. That's exactly like that. right. Is this something that, that can be applied to other parks in the area eventually to, I guess, determine are these species here in these other areas? Or is this like a concept that you are looking to build on, I guess? Yeah, that, uh, so it could, it could definitely be applied uh, at other parks and locally. Even just having a system in place, I've kind of been playing around with this idea and maybe, I don't know, if any uh, angel investors are listening out there, but it'd be really cool. And there's wildlife management systems and things like that in place to, to help city planners and park planners and things like that make good decisions on when they're building things, not to destroy an ecosystem and things. But uh, once those are in place, it'd be, I've really been riffing on this idea. It'd be awesome to have the more of these automated systems out at the park that were just kind of uh, AI naturalists so to speak. Now, Jeremy and Lance would probably shiver at their jobs being, you know, we're not going to say replaced, but, you know, um, accentuated with these things, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it would be a really neat tool, I think, to, to have a board where, you know, like maybe a screen or something when you come into the park. And there's observations coming in from different places of the park with maybe, you know, pings on a map that just ping out and, and you're like, oh, there's you know, oh, th this bird is calling in this this area of the park today. And so now let's walk out there and see it. Let's see if we can hear it ourselves. So the ability to kind of be in, in, in multiple places and take these in. Oops, I'm going to hit the mic there. Uh, we'll, we'll get that post right. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, I, I think it could be applied to other parks and you can make it an interactive and fun kind of learning thing. And, um, you know, maybe I just... Maybe I just gave someone a really good idea. That's for... true. <laughs> we need to keep these sealed up. So well, uh... we, we, you heard it here first on go. the sound barrier. Um... Give, give uh, Mr. McMing the credit if, <laughs> if utilized in the future. You know, the, like I said, these, these things exist for making decisions. And so data science is all about using data to make really good decisions. But then... I'm always looking at the angle, well, how do we get people excited about science with it, with what, are, with what we have? And that would be a really fun thing, I think, to walk into a park and have this kind of heat map like, of, of where we're hearing things uh, in the park that day. And maybe we can just go find them, launch our own expedition to go see the, see the frog or toad calling or the birds and things like that. So. There's already systems like iNaturalist that allow, so I encourage you all to download iNaturalist and log uh, the different sights and sounds you might have. And so there's AI tools built in that. You can take a picture of, you see a bird outside, you take a picture of it. Uh, it'll try to identify it if you can't identify it and give you suggestions. And then if, then people come along and they look at your photos and they, they make observations. And then at a certain point, it, your observation gets marked as, as research grade. Once there's two or three people that come along and agree, oh yeah, that's a, 
you know, that's a spring peeper, that's a spring peeper, that's a spring peeper. That's now cataloged observation and your phone logs the GPS coordinates of where, when, you know, you saw it and now adds it to this big heat map of, of where we're seeing things. So that's actually one of my next projects I'll be working on. We'll be taking iNaturalist and, and other uh, data sources like that and, and bringing them together into a platform to cross-analyze bioacoustic data. So, yeah. And so this is the app is free on the App Store. iNaturalist is yes. Okay. I, I it's go it's, download that. It's folks. kind of fun. It's almost like catching Pokemon. Like you, yeah, you'll go, you'll go. That's exactly <laughs> what I was like likening it to, but I wasn't gonna say it. So I'm glad that you was did. My head. Yeah. Pokemon Go, but yeah. for science, but, but real for actual <laughs> creatures, real animals. Living things. Yeah, exactly. It, it's kind of addictive too. You you start when you're. When you're tuning into things and actually tuning into them, to, to you'll start noticing them more. And so, just uh, so I was telling you, I was a whitewater raft guide over the summer. You know, just kind of kind of random. But uh, we're we're going down the river, and I'm I'm hearing the frogs that I'm studying out there, and sometimes from incredible distances. You know, I'm like, I like, yeah, I hear it. And it's almost like my you know my volume's turned down on my computer. So. Uh, just using apps like that and then studying these animals has just made me more aware when they're in my environment. And it's like I said, kind of tuning in uh, to your your um, your landscape or natural environment. So yeah, download the app. It's it's fun. Speaking of frog sounds, John, we have a quiz. <laughs> okay. For you. Okay. About uh, we have acquired through means we won't talk about this moment. <laughs> some audio audio sounds of uh, of these frogs. And uh, let's see if uh, let's see if you can. Okay. You can identify the frogs based on their calls. And you're going to grade me? Yeah, we're going to test that theory yeah, at the very beginning to... where we were stating how if uh, this will be the determining factor whether you're the master of all trades or <laughs> <laughs> or not. Okay. I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay. Okay. No pressure. And I know you all listen in can't can't see. They're not holding up cue cards. There's there's nothing in here but but us. So. No, it's all hidden away uh, here. And just, yeah. Well, I might have to... Let me load up ChatGPT here. I might, I <laughs> <laughs> okay, for, this is, this is going to be a, our first frog sound. Yeah, so that sounds like, uh, I think that sounds like Cope's Gray Tree Frog. Ding, 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 ding. And yes. Wow. Nice, I think so. So this one's actually one of the harder ones to find at the park. At least it was for me. Uh, it didn't show up in the data as much. And uh, I just tracked it down the other night. And where I actually monitored these frogs the most was my neighbor's pool. So I'm sitting outside enjoying summer and I hear a frog and I'm like, I'm not sure I know that one. And then I was kind of embarrassed to find out, you know, it's on my study list and uh, I hear it. And, and if there's any biologists at home and it's not a copes great tree frog, I'm gonna be embarrassed. But uh, all in all sources point to that was a copes. But, um, Anyway, listening over the summer, it was 
what, what can I do with this? And so one of my studies is going to involve the effects of noise on frogs. And at Steel Creek Park specifically, there, there's some airplane traffic that goes over because of Tri-Cities Airport being close. And I just kind of wanted to see, do they change their behavior when the airplanes are around or because the airplanes are constantly in their, in their environment? And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to these frogs at my neighbor's pool and they're not at Steel Creek Park. So, it, you know, in my head, it's like, well, these things aren't, you know, they're not doing me any good. I, I'm getting audio. Some, uh, I was like, you know, maybe recording it with a hand recorder every now and then. And then this train comes blasting by. I live in Johnson City on the tree street. So that train comes blaring by and I can't hear the frogs anymore. Here's my research study. So I went down and talked to my neighbor and he let me put up a recorder. And we had some technical difficulties, but I got some audio data and uh, just got to admire those frogs all summer. They'd set up shop in their uh, pool that was being repaired and worked on. And uh, so they're gone now. They've, they've, they've moved them out, moved them on. Uh, but I got to hear it again in some of my data from the park. So I was really excited to hear, hear Copes. Sweet. Okay, we're going to go with, we're going to try a second selection here. See what we can get. Uh, okay. I'm going to quiz the people in the room. You, everybody's heard this one before. Do you know what it is? I mean, if you, you, if you're outside in the spring, spring time. Is it, oh, no, I'm not the, even going to try to guess. The spring Kermit? <laughs> no. The spring Kermit, is it? That'd be a great name. I was thinking of grasshoppers or crickets, so that <laughs> shows where those I'm Those are, well, those are the sounds that, that all kind of blend together in that in that symphony uh, that they play. This is the uh, this is the spring peeper. And so when they come together in mass, I mean that's the it's the backdrop of sound in the spring in, in East Tennessee and in most of the United States. And so they're amazing to look at. They're so tiny. I mean we're we're talking like, you know, the size of my thumb or a little bigger, but they really get going. Uh, and when you hear them all together, yeah. And so uh, sometimes they'll call later in the year and odd times if it's warm and in the southern states and things, but uh, they, they're impossible. In fact, in some of my training algorithms, the spring peeper is classified as noise because I am not really interested in conservation uh, for spring peeper. I mean, I am as a whole, I'm probably you know, bad to say that I'm not interested, but there's tons of them and they're in all my audio data. So. I actually take the AI and say, just treat that as noise. You know, when I want to study the spring peeper, I'll let the AI know that, oh, they, that's what I want you to hone in on. But otherwise, uh, they will sometimes be louder than the things that are the frogs that I'm actually trying to record. And they drown out because they're just so loud in, in, in mass. That's like, uh, we call this a term in psychology, sensory adaptation, mm -hmm. where it's like, so you're essentially uh, training the AI to have the sensory adaptation of, you know, when a loud AC unit starts to kick on. At first you hear it, of course, but yeah. then over a few minutes you just tend to adapt and your brain filters out that information is unimportant. So mm -hmm. it's like you don't even notice it. So that's cool that you could really do that with AI and you can have, you say, okay, treat this as just noise and just ignore it. Filter it out as unimportant. That's right. So that's, that's really neat. Yep. It just, again, ties it all together with artificial intelligence being, you know, so closely linked to psychology, computer science, biology. I mean, it's all intertwined. So that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I, I always love 
talking to you about that yeah. because uh, uh, the 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 that's I mean I told you I was interested in psychology at one point yeah. that kind of leads into oh these these we're creating algorithms that learn and then adapt and so uh, yeah that's it's really exciting stuff yeah. So, like, have y'all used your machine learning to, I know that you said you have gotten, I think, logged 8 out of 10 uh -huh. of the frogs. So, have you all, I guess, tried taking the recorders of the machine learning and, like, I guess, making those 8 that you've already found, like, noise so that... I could. Yeah, that'd actually be uh, one thing I could do. Um, what I'm gearing up for now is basically, I've got it... It's been set up for a while. I really could have ran this test, but I was kind of waiting until the last recorders are done. So I have one recorder still out at Steel Creek Park. And as of maybe a couple hours ago, the batteries probably went dead on it. So it's uh, it's it's out there. I got to hike out and get it. But that's the last one that I plan on. Uh, and uh, it's kind of bittersweet. I'm going to be walking out there, but it's also at the same time. Okay, finally, we got all the data that <laughs> yeah. we need, and I'm gonna stop this now. It's time. It's winter time. Let's go inside. The frogs have all, you know, they're hibernating now, and I'll go hibernate with my data. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we're getting ready to run a full-scale sweep on it, and the two that are two or more that are left over, um, will 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 run a, a full scan on. And with the current uh, profiling that I've done on how long it would take to run. Uh, the full scan of the data using the AI is going to take somewhere between a week and a week and a half. And that's, you know, pending no failures in the code or, or failures in the software running. So uh, these are really, really big processes. And once, you know, once they've been gone through, we can kind of look at the data and say, okay, there were some um, instances of a certain frog here. We'll zoom in and l actually listen to it and, and verify it. And so that's part of what my system will do is when it hones in on something, I could then just go pull that second or the three X seconds of audio around it or, and have it make a composite file on the fly for me to pull up and, and see where that's at. And the, uh, it, it does have false positives. I mean, there's times, so there was some, there's this really one interesting one that came up. Um, uh, actually, uh, Tom, would you care to play the the uh, green frog for a minute? Er, er, yes. This is sometimes called the banjo frog. I mean, I'm just assuming you have a recording of a green frog over there. I uh, <laughs> do. Yes. Let's cue up the green frog. Yeah. Here we go. Sounds like a banjo. Yep. So they 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 actually get the nickname the banjo frog, and it is uh, just kind of a bonk. And anyway, so there was um, there was an instance in one of my data where it said that there was a, a green frog. So I went out there and looked and listened to it, and the best I can tell, it is some raccoon or bear or something scratching its back on the tree and the recorder gets lifted up and dropped back down and it made a bunk and it tricked the AI into thinking, oh, that was a green frog because it made the, pretty much the same relative frequency with the, the plastic case of my recorder. I don't, I don't have them in here, but 
it, it, it was just enough resonance and just enough sound to make it go boom, and and it thought it was a green frog. And I, it's funny, I, I probably should have sent you that recording, but it's definitely something scratching itself on the tree. I guess it could have, <laughs> I guess it could have been a human. Homo sapiens are, are known to be out at Steel Creek Part Two, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> could be. But yeah, it was it was really. You know, it, it, as an AI researcher, things like that can be a little disheartening. But, you know, how many times have you heard something? Did I just hear that? You know, so we, we have auditory hallucinations a lot, too. And, and that's something that AI is do, known to do is, is hallucinate from time to time. And so we're, we, uh, we're uh, able to rationalize things, you know, after that. But going back and listening to it, I could totally see where it sounded like a, like a green frog. In isolation, if someone had played it to me, I'd been like... And they told me it's a frog, so that's where we get into how many ways should we classify all this sound? You know, if we're if you're only looking at it in terms of here's a sound, what ten frogs are these? Well, what if it's not a frog sound at all, and you're looking at it through the lens of it has to be a frog sound or it has to be this sound? So uh, the 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 bigger we make these tools, or I guess the the more things we can classify from these tools and build these hierarchies of you know, basically 20 questions. What does it sound like? Okay, well now let's go and, and cross-analyze it. Uh, that's part of part of what my software is, is starting to do at this point. <laughs> yeah. Any other Do you any have other, you any have other any quiz? other uh, quiz uh, type sounds? Uh, we've got a few more we've got a few more frog sounds. Okay. Have, if you want to go with how do you feel? Another frog sound. Let's do. A, let's, do let's do one more. Yeah, okay. yeah. Do one two more. more. Honestly, I <laughs> more. love these. I like. I like using you. Yeah, <laughs> it's impressive that you are able to uh -huh. uh, pick up on it. Um, well, so quickly. So we had to. We had to edit all the data that we were given from. Uh, so Macaulay Library, uh, the Cornell uh, Lab of Ornithology. We requested the data for our training model, and. We, uh, so when I say we, myself and one of my uh, former students, Zoe, uh, she committed about 40 or 50 hours to the project editing uh, sound files for me, which was great. And she's going to be continuing some of the, the research um, uh, with me. But anyway, after listening to all, actually editing all the sound and putting it and tagging it and getting it set up for my model to be able to listen from, I can't unhear them most of the time. Them, I've so been yeah. trained. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so It's but, ingrained but, in you forever. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, I got that recall thing where it takes me a minute, like, oh, what is that? Uh, so Would uh, that be considered machine learning? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a very, a, you know, biological machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. you, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, it was funny that you always said that we were like meat robots. <laughs> <laughs> I got I get so many dirty looks for saying that. And I've actually had to stop saying it at gotcha. some camps. We may like, have to edit that out. <laughs> oh man, we are meat robots. We and you know what, what when you say that though people get a little mad you and I understand we, we wanna we, we believe in our soul and we, we understand that we, we have some special there's something special and machines are special too in my opinion. But uh, biological machines, we're, we're, we are advanced and our brains are still the most advanced uh, computing devices we have on the planet. They are, and they're analog. And so it, it is quite, it's quite amazing the, what we can do and uh, it, reducing it down to meat robots offends people. But 
Uh, I like, you know, I like yeah, I kind of describing it I, in that way. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard that somewhere else. I, I'm, I'm not that clever. So. Yeah, there's a uh, quote by Hank Green. It's like the most complex system in the universe, and we all get one of our very own, the human brain. So it's exactly I, right. I think it's fascinating. It but, is. But let's let's hit that okay. uh, that sound. Let's test you again. All right. Let's. Uh, okay. Here we go. Frog sound. This is without a doubt uh, the wood frog. Yes, again. Ding. Good ear. <laughs> so if you, doesn't they, they kind of sound like a bunch of ducks, like clicking around or geese maybe. Um, so the wood frogs are the one of the first frogs that you'll hear of the season. Uh, you, you'll sometimes hear spring peepers out. It doesn't necessarily mean they're out uh, for the reasons that that male frogs call um, for mating purposes. So they, uh, the wood frogs, are the first to kind of come alive and be like, "All right, we're we're ready to, to to find some mates." And at Steel Creek Park in the wetlands area, if you go out there uh, early February, so I believe the first observation I made of them was February 10th, but there was an observation on the 9th on iNaturalist. From the 9th, February 9th on, for just about two weeks, it's all you can hear when you walk through that area, and it is deafeningly loud. It, uh, so the uh, you can, on the recorders, I can set the gain of you know how high is the mic, and uh, I actually had to dial it back over a couple of weeks because the mic, the the, the recordings were all just clipping. They were so loud, and they're so tiny, and then they just they're gone. They just, uh, they, they, at that point, once they've, they've, they've got about, about a month that they're really active. And it's uh, actually kind of hard to hear one at a time. And I noticed that you'll you, you hear a and then they all start going together. And once they ramp up, they'll go. And sometimes the audio recordings would be like three in the morning and it's just dead silence. And then one goes, and then whoosh, it's just uh, yeah, it just takes off, and they get so loud. So um, this is I love the wood frog pri primarily because it's the f the first one I heard on my study, and I had I, I started going out to Steel Creek Park in about mid January when I got the first recorder, and I, I knew that the wood frog would be the first one we'd hear. I just didn't know when exactly it would hit, and so early February is where I kind of got my first confirmation. Here we go, it's, yeah. we're we're getting started. So. Yeah. We'll do okay, we'll do one more here. This this one okay. has an interesting name. It puts me in mind of something, but here we go. Okay. So this is I think turning into my actually my my favorite frog sound. It is the upland course frog. Yes. And yeah, so I I really like, okay. I really like the Fowler's Toad. If we end up playing it, oh no, wait. I'm sorry. You don't you don't have a Fowler's Toad no, recording. No. Uh, but the Fowler's Toad, I, I wanted to look out because they, they kind of sound like they're screaming. But this one, I love how it's a like a increasing clicking sound. The you know the pitch rises up, and it's some of the other frogs on my list. It kind of there's a pickerel frog. It kind of sounds like running your finger across a comb, but with with the upland course frog, it's like you're running your finger across a comb that all have different size teeth on it. And so it's increasing or decreasing as, as you go up with it. 
and you're timing how much you release that that uh, your finger across the comb. And so these frogs were over at another site across from the wetlands area and they got really loud as well. And this was about the beginning of March when they, they started coming out and uh, very easy to hear at the park too. They got very loud as well, almost as, not quite as loud. I don't think there was as many uh, upland course frogs as wood frogs, but uh, they were just so fun to go listen to. And one great thing about the, the ones out there is uh, I haven't looked at the, the data at night very much to see, but I actually we, we go out about 11 or noon. I taught a three o'clock class last semester or last spring. And so I go out there before I came here and they'd be out and, and just going all, all day. And so they're one of the frogs that uh, a lot of the, a lot of the course frogs of that type will, will, will come out during the day and, and, and call as well. They're not just nocturnal in that, in that respect. So it was nice to be able to, it was spring has sprung. It was the beginning of March. It felt great out. And here's one of the frogs that I'm, I'm looking for and, and able to put eyes on them and, and, and ears. So. Oh, now, uh, to totally change gears. Here, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down with John, changing gears. Um, what can you tell us about your music career? Because we know you've been, you played in several bands, uh, I guess going back to college, your college days. Um, what kind of got you interested in music? And uh, uh, did, how, how, was, how was life on the road playing in the band? <laughs> well, I think the word career is, is definitely an overstatement. <laughs> Uh, the uh, maybe DIY career. Uh, yeah, I have I have I've been involved in, in a bunch of different bands since uh, just before college. I, I guess I joined my first band in in high school, and then uh, you know I play punk and hardcore music and stuff right. that's not. I mean, we're not selling out stadiums. We're we're selling out basements in people's houses though. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, without a doubt, that's my mom. Uh, she is, uh, she, she's a great musician, uh, plays guitar and just about anything that she picks up and, and, and can sing. And so music was a big part of, of growing up and the, you know, our taste may be different in music. She's not maybe into punk and hardcore, but she'd still come to my shows and support me and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I played in uh, a bunch of different bands and, you know, uh, spent a good part of my 20s riding around in a van making questionable decisions with my friends. <laughs> and <laughs> We had a lot of fun. I, you know, I left school for a while. I like to, I like to actually share with my students that I, I, I dropped out of school. It's, so when you're, you're in your early 20s, you're, part of it's finding yourself. And I was taking classes and I was enjoying it, but I was distracted by a lot of different things going on socially and things. But music was fun, right? And so I guess, you know, and I've always been, a, I guess I sit right in the middle, the introvert and extrovert. Was that ambivert? You're the yeah. psychologist, right? Yeah. So, hey, you, you know, you yeah. You have both traits, man. I, 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 I as well uh, share in that with you. I can, I, on um, the fence, depending on the situation. Exactly. So I'm like more introverted other times more extroverted. So. Exactly. But yeah, it's, it's amber. I, I, Ambivert. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. I, I need to refresh on my Myers-Briggs. We're talking that's about right. personality here soon in my class. So I need to need refresh to brush myself. Up. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the, the uh, you know, I really liked performing. It was really fun. And, you know, my first show, 
that I ever played, uh, or I, well, not ever played, but with with one of the bands that I was with for a longer amount of time. I got up on that stage, and they had such a following that there was enough people there. And I remember playing the first show with them. It was out of town, and my knees just almost buckling underneath me and scared to death. And you know that that's a rush, right? You know, and I got over it, and I kept doing it, kept doing it, and then. You know, let's see what five years after that I taught my first college class, and my knees did the same buckling thing in front of people, and uh, it, it kind of makes sense that I'm a, a, a professor now. That it's it's part of it's performing, getting up in front of people and and, and, and doing that. So uh, I still have to have that me time every now and then. And it's put me in a closet, and I'll study frogs, and then I'll come out and <laughs> and, and give a performance. So. But yeah, the, the, I, I owe a lot of that to, to music and and whatever capacity that I, I really did that in. Um, we did tour a little bit southeast and and uh, a little bit up north. Uh, didn't make it out to the west coast very much, but it, it was. I learned a lot. Make you know even even kind of just being a slacker for a while there there's you can you can learn you can learn a little bit from being a slacker every now and then yeah. and i try to tell my students that they you just got to take time to learn and grow and figure out what you like and grow into yourself and sometimes you end up figuring out maybe 10 or 20 years later in my case now that all of it can be connected in some way so my my love for music is you know how i can do these bioacoustic projects and under and and know the, about recording and software to, to use uh, and things like that. So it, it all kind of weaves to, weaves together. For sure. Yep. Like whenever you were uh, in your 20s, your earlier 20s, did you ever think that you'd end up doing what you're doing today? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. I dreamed of maybe, you know, going all the way up to, the, you know, okay, maybe I could be a researcher, or, you know, maybe get a, a doctorate. And then after two, two years in college, I was like, well, that's not happening. Uh, you know, so yeah, I never, never once, um, even considered being a professor of computer science. It, it was definitely just kind of thrown on me and I, uh, I'm actually the man responsible for one of the men responsible for that. I'm seeing tonight for coffee, uh, Dr. Phil Pfeiffer over at tissue. He was the graduate, um, one of the coordinators that, that ended up getting the, the teaching position and. Uh, Phil will probably listen to this if I tell him I mentioned him, but uh, <laughs> the way this went down was I got an email on a Friday and it was like, all right, John, we, 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 we did find you a graduate assistantship. You'll be teaching your next, uh, you'll be teaching a CSCI 1100, uh, on Thursday next week. The meeting's on Monday. Oh my goodness. And wow. <laughs> so when I say thrown into teaching my first class, Literally. yeah, I found out on a, on a Friday and taught my first class the next Thursday. And uh, I had great mentor uh, mentors over there. Um, Sam Burke uh, was the the uh, coordinator over there, and uh, lots of, lots of great people to lift me up. And and then I was like, man, I, I like doing this. This is this yeah. is cool. You know, I'm I'm kind of performing, kind of sharing stuff. I get the I get a little bit of that boost from being extroverted every now and then, exactly. and then, then I disappear. Yep. In my I can relate to that. <laughs> I can relate to that. And and you mentioned you know teaching kind of like. Reminding of uh, performing similar to maybe not similar, but maybe a, a same feeling that you get whenever you are performing uh, musically. Speaking of performances, are there any performances that you may 
remember most memorably or even some that you'd like to forget? No, yeah. Or maybe both. Yeah, we well, we we won't yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's definitely ones I have forgotten. We we played a ton of shows. So, I mean, we might have. So we were based in Johnson City, and we play a lot at, at the Hideaway. Uh, that's my home. I've been playing and hanging out at, at the Hideaway uh, for for twenty almost twenty years now. And, uh, but uh, we might as well have been the house band at, at, at one point, uh, the band I was in. We were playing so, so much, even to our, our uh, fault. And, you know, our, so we started playing shows. There's no one here. Well, maybe if we played, didn't play last week and next week, people would come out. So anyway, uh, there were definitely ones I forgot because we played so much. Um, but I saw a picture the other day, and I, I, I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but... One year, I was in a. It was a different band with some of the same guys, and we played Halloween. And playing Halloween, I mean, the two there. Well, I guess there, there's three holidays that are the best to play as a band. You got New Year's Eve, you've got uh, St. Patrick's Day, and you've got uh, Halloween. And I love Halloween shows. It gives me an excuse to dress up in a costume and 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 play. So that year, we decided that the four of us would be Team Zisu. Do you, do you remember that movie, The Life Aquatic? It's like a Wes Anderson flick. Bill Murray and Bill uh, Murray. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, it's hilarious. You should check it out. And this guy makes nature documentaries. And so <laughs> I I hadn't thought about it in so long. And then I see this picture of me. I mean, 20, 22 years old, maybe. And they, they, Team Zisu wears these all light blue jumpsuits and then the red uh, beanie or red toboggan. And there I am wearing it and I'm like, huh. And I study wildlife now. Interesting. This is, well, how did that all get tied together? Um, so I'm actually thinking about dressing up as Steve Zisu. Uh, this, this, uh, this Halloween, if, if y'all haven't, if y'all haven't seen the movie, you gotta watch it. It's it's, oh, it's very it's very now. funny. It's very dry and and, and <laughs> oh, perfect. Totally Wes Anderson. Those yeah. are usually my type of movies. Bill so Murray's just that's gonna be up my alley. Amazing, yeah. You, you should check it out. <laughs> yep. Cool. Now, uh, one thing I did want to also get to. Uh, you were a panelist, I think, recently at the Education to Employment Summit mm-hmm. in Metaview, uh, over there in Kingsport. Um, what, what was kind of that experience about as far as talking about education, what Northeast State's role kind of is in that for the region and, and kind of what you hoped to, uh, what you hoped people took an interest in uh, for students here at Northeast State and here at our college? Yeah, the uh, ETE, uh, ETE Summit was, was really cool. Um, one, so that was put together, uh, the first Tennessee Development District, Lottie Ryans uh, put that together, and Lottie and I have worked on projects for a while. Uh, our, our first ever meeting was in the Science Hill uh, cafeteria maybe seven years ago, where she first pitched the idea of Career Quest to me and wanted to bring me on board, and that's something we've been doing now at ETSU for, for quite a long time in the spring. Uh, which is a career fair for for kids that can come learn about all different uh, fields and things like that. Will's group here uh, killed it this year and brought a trophy home for us even. So, First place. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then anyway, so we, we have a lot of fun out there with the kids, but 
so the ETE summit, I, I didn't really know what to expect going in. I'd never, I'd never been before. And uh, I, I believe I was invited last year and, and just didn't, didn't get to go. And so this year it was, um, there was a, there was a lot of different focuses and with our specific segment, we were kind of, you know, AI is really new and we were, uh, there's a lot of things floating around and education is just, we're, we're upheaved. How do we, how do we ethically and, and uh, intelligently integrate this into how we do things because it's not going away and that's something we kept reiterating. It's here, it's already here, it's been here for a while. Uh, we're just now getting the platforms to actually use it and, and people consume it on in mass. And so uh, how, what do we do for that? And uh, anyway, so our segment, I was a panelist. We got asked some really good questions, and uh, the speaker who was with us got to dispel some some myths about AI, and maybe even reinforce some some things that we needed to understand. Um, and then there were a lot of other great speakers uh, speaking on, on, on kind of all mat matters of kind of the education uh, to employment pipeline. How we get people that that need. Uh, training and skills. How do we get them the skills, and then how do we get them in the workplace? And uh, something that I was actually really uh, the the point that I took home, I guess the most from it was um, looking at uh, veterans. So the, there were a couple speakers that spoke on you know after people leave the military, they uh, you know they they sometimes have a hard time integrating back into a normal job, and it it, it takes some extra care from employers to kind of mentor and get them what they need and the resources and, and, and things. And a lot of times military folks feel a little disconnected or purposeless when they get into a, you know, kind of a day job. And they, and so they were really sharing a lot of uh, tips for making your, your, your workplace veteran ready. And I, I, it was, it was really, uh, you know, a whole demographic of students that I, I've, when every time I have a, uh, a veteran in my class, I know that if I tell them to, to read something, they're going to read it. If, you know, if I tell them to watch this video, they're going to watch it. They, you know, the, the discipline there is, is, uh, something that we as professors really like to see in our students. And, uh, but knowing that they, they had more needs and they weren't just, you know, uh, it wasn't just another student that, oh, I can count on them being disciplined and how to how to react and how to give them what they need. So uh, the EDE Summit as a whole was just a really positive experience for me uh, to, to learn uh, learn things that, that I had never really uh, thought about or put together in my classroom. So interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I have another question about regarding AI and uh, Frogs and Steel Creek Park, okay, and our region in general. Um, the region is obviously growing heavily in population development. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of buildings springing up here and there and everywhere. Uh, can AI tell us how this is going to? What kind of long term effects this is going to have on the ecosystem of Southern Appalachia? I mean, certainly it's the ecosystem of Southern Appalachia has taken a beating over the decades for various reasons we won't get into here, but uh, it's developing and, and can, can AI kind of map, map out how we can protect uh, the environment around here and so tree frogs and upland church frogs can be, can be, <laughs> and other kind of wildlife yeah. and people in general can have clean water and 
That's right. Clean air. So I definitely think AI tools, you know, they're, they're already being integrated into city management and planning. The, you know, we're even stepping back. So the, the work that I've done with uh, Jeremy and Lance, uh, we're working on another publication right now where we, we're actually using a hundred year old ecology model. And it's no, no AI required. Wow. Uh, this species area curve that kind of tells us what our, what our bounds are for, for the amount of land that is habitable in our region versus inhabitable for frogs. So, you know, if you think about, well, we classify this whole area here as, you know, one big area, but how many places can they actually live? You know, and so if we start covering it with massive amounts of city, we, we lose that land. So what our regression model can tell us is kind of where these thresholds are for once we reduce the amount of land that, that they can live in, there is actually a species count and a richness that we can tie that to. And we say, okay, if we lose 300 more acres, we're, we're probably going to lose a species of frog. It's going to migrate out of this area or just die off. And so now, of course, you know, that's, there's a, there's a little bit higher threshold. You know, the will to survive is, is, is definitely higher than linear regressions, sometimes, <laughs> greater than linear regression sometimes. But they are really useful models. And so what we're looking at taking in the next step is there's even more data than just, well, we've got this much area and this many species. How do we create regression from it or, or a model? Uh, we can take all the, the data we're collecting from, say, my project and others and, and feed it into these larger models that can now look at um, not just the, the kind of metrics of where was this thing and how do we tag or, or classify the, the land that it's in, but all the, the, the conditions that are going on along with it. You know, what are the, what are, what's the, uh, the temperature effect? What's the, uh, how, how, how do these, I guess, planning management things affect the environment, but also what, what's the state of the environment? And so these, these models take in very large amounts of data and can tell us some things that pick up patterns that we, we don't necessarily pick up on ourselves. So hopefully we can, we can use some of this data as long as, I think that the, the biggest problem is, is we can, I can sit here and we can spit out these models all day. It's, are people willing to, to do anything about it or actually, you know, or do we, we care about how many species we have in our environment or do we care about building a new building and making, so we have to be really smart with our decisions and that's up to people that make decisions. So uh, I guess, can we be told, can we, can we make models that tell us things about it? Yeah, we can, but how we apply it and use it is, is up to the, the next, next part of the chain. Yep. So uh, I hope that we, we start taking a look at the, the effect we are, we're having on our environment. I mean, just, you know, I, I spent last night reading papers on the effects of noise. And so you all, I don't know if there's a documentary that came out several years ago. I remember watching it when I was, I was working for ETSU at the time and I was on a, a business trip for them and I was in my hotel room and this documentary came on and I was fascinated by it, but it basically all these whales are turning up on beaches all over the world and they're dying. And they started tracing it back to noise in the ocean. You know, think about if someone came in your, in your house and just blared a loudspeaker of 
of shipping freight uh, boats or something. That's what they're hearing. But just, just you, uh, maybe I'll come to your house and play some of my music for you. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I come to your house and I play noise, and now I'm doing it 24/7. And you don't have a way to turn it off. You don't have hands to plug up your ears. You don't. Maybe you don't have ears. Maybe you can feel it through your body. It's being played so loud. So the noise we generate from everything we do now there there has been push you know to like for instance in the oceans to uh limit how many boats can go through a certain area at a certain time or to you know make ships quieter um we often do things and then see their effect and we, we we have to be we're reactive way too often and so which is fine as long as we're willing to react and in in these cases of noise, it, it's everywhere. So we're we're kind of we consider ourselves lucky out here. We're, we live in the middle of the Appalachians. You know, it's like we're 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 separated from all that. But uh, roads run right past wetlands all the time. Planes fly over wetlands. Uh, actually, there's I, I I need to look at the map. There's a rumor that there is a pond right here behind Northeast State, and it might be on Tri Cities Airport's property. And uh, it, it, someone was telling me that they could look over their house fence and see that pond behind the airport. And uh, it'd be a great study site. But I don't know if it's on airport property that anybody would be willing to let me do an ecological study on their airport site because hmm. of the negative implication you know, you know, of, of what could be going yeah. on at that pond, behavior changes. Uh, now, obviously, if there's there's animals in it, it's probably you know it, it's it's surviving to some degree. But noise can drive you crazy, and uh, I you know they can drive animals away. They can they can it can lead them to to move to different areas, and it interrupts their ability to to hear their 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 mates call, and so uh, it's a disruption of the ecosystem. Now, I obviously as a musician, I love noise. The noisier the better, but uh, we just got to be smart about how we release it into our our uh, our world yeah. environment. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is so true. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, the way that you just described it, it all just clicked for me right there. That's wow. yeah. So that's that's what I'm going to be looking at yeah. next. Is you know what what's the what what and you know I'm not I'm not trying to say we shouldn't fly airplanes and or drive cars, uh, but you know if all it took was well we noticed that planes coming in on this runway fly over this one let wetlands and all you've got to do is maybe fly in from a different angle or something like that. It's a small incremental change that, that can maybe help. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, maybe maybe that maybe that route costs more fuel now. Are we willing to spend that money to not disrupt an ecosystem? Um, I don't know. That's that's some of the tougher questions I don't I don't want to have to, to I guess deal with as as someone uh, studying these things though. Uh, it's pretty optimistic for me to believe that all of my research will get people to change their ideas. But if it's out there, someone might kind of look at it one day and be like, well, we can make smarter decisions when we're going into these processes to, to make sure that we're not having to be reactive to an ecosystem in crisis. So, yeah. 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 You're starting the conversation and, and getting that, getting it out there. And, uh, these are necessary things we need to talk about, uh, for the future. Not, I really hope to see because it's outstanding research. I mean, I'm just impressed in general with it, and uh, I, I really hope this comes to fruition in a lot of different ways for the betterment of our area. So, thanks, really man. impressed. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you. So, um, 
appreciate you, John, for taking the time out to be a part of the podcast, man. Thank you. Yeah. I've got uh, just a couple well, other can, uh, like plugs here. Yeah, if I, please you do. Give me Go just for a minute. Oh, no, uh, we've got plenty of time. Okay, please so um, I'll be speaking October 14th, and I believe the event is October 13th and 14th at Steel Creek Park. It's Wildlife Weekend. Uh, so this is primarily, you know, aimed at a younger audience, but kids, families, uh, there's usually nature walks and things like that, uh, you know, hikes, exploratory stuff. Uh, so of course I'll be talking about frogs and, uh, we might do something similar to what we did here in the studio today. Uh, name that frog where someone might, I might put Jeremy on the spot and have him compete with my AI. Can you identify? <laughs> I, I joked with him about it and he goes, well, you're you know the frog sounds better than I do, man. Come on. Don't, don't put me on the spot like that. But, um, yeah, there's a bunch of little tools and stuff I've thought about building for that. But I will be talking out on Wildlife Weekend. And then uh, that uh, ATME conference in Atlanta, uh, Association of Technology Management and Applied Engineering. Uh, I'll be speaking at that conference. So uh, that's, you know, more for, for ATME members. But with Wildlife Weekend, that's right here in our community. Bring your kids. Come on out and uh, learn a little bit. Uh, I, I think after doing this project with them, I'll probably be, uh, I might end up being kind of a regular addition to Wildlife Weekend if, if I can make it fun enough and have continual progress to show at the park. So it'll be a fun thing to do. Um, just a couple thank yous. So this research, I appreciate you, you know, uh, uh, talking about my research with me and everything, but uh, I definitely have to thank some people for that. So, of course, Jeremy, I mean, he, well, we've already thanked him earlier in the show. He, he got his plug. But, no, I, I got to thank him and Lance for getting me involved with their project. And, that, I mean, it was just a spark. It was one spark. It was, you know, this was, uh, I guess, the fall of 2021 when I got that phone call from him. And so here we are two years later with whole new ideas, whole new papers, and just taking it in that direction. So, um uh, my uh, former student uh, Zoe, uh, she's she's been great. Uh, has has moved on, uh, you know, to another college now, and and uh, will hopefully be taking one of these projects with her. So she she did a lot for helping me get the the groundwork of training the AI. And uh, there's been a couple ideas we've come across, and so if we can, um, if we can, well, we're looking at the airplane noise problem. So I think that uh, she's gonna. Uh, kind of spearhead some of the efforts on that. So I want to thank her for helping me get this off the ground. I wouldn't have had any of the AI done by the summer. I would have went into the summer without any 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 training stuff. So big thanks to Zoe. And then uh, all the way back around the Friends of Steel Creek Park. So they are the ones that provided me uh, with the tools through a small grants program they have. And so I, I purchased one of the recorders myself to just be able to, at the very least, get the project started or done uh, with one recorder. And so they provided me uh, with uh, three more uh, that they purchased. And so uh, they're the ones that put together Wildlife Weekend. And I'll, uh, I, I really appreciate the Friends of Steel Creek Park for for uh, putting this together for me. I couldn't, couldn't, I wouldn't have a whole, I wouldn't have a, over a terabyte of data without them. So I appreciate every bit of that. Amazing. Well, yes, uh, I second that shout out to you all. I uh, appreciate you supporting John. We get to benefit by having him here on campus at Northeast State. Um, he, again, John is a, as an assistant professor. Congratulations on your promotion, by the way. Thank you. Thank uh, you. The assistant professor of um, computer and information sciences. We're grateful to have him part of the podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. 
We'll talk at you next time as we continue to break the barrier.